Good morning. We do. That was the lamest clap I have ever. Like, are we supposed to? I don't know. What's the etiquette here? And so, if that was for Chris, understood. I would give him that kind of a clap too. So, hey, we are we are so glad you are here that you've walked through the monsoon uh, and you've survived it. You know, together we will prevail. And so, let me give you two quick announcements. Uh, both of them are involving uh, summer camp or summer retreat plans for. Our kids, we're doing two different environments. One of them uh, will be for kids from third grade to sixth grade on uh, July the 17th and 18th. Uh, we'll be doing what we're calling uh, it Day Retreat 2020 for Emerge Kids. And so uh, it's going to be taking place at our house. Uh, we will have a ton of activities for them. We'll start it on a Friday night. Uh, I, I was supposed to say this last week. Uh, what we're doing on that Friday night is we're inviting all families to kind of gather in uh, on the fun then, and on Saturday, that will be specifically uh, for uh, the kids. And then uh, for our teens, we'll be going on a, uh, I get how many hours is this? 48 plus, hmm? yeah. Yeah, 72. Yeah, well, maybe 72 hours. There's no way to do that math. Uh, we'll be doing a, a summer, re summer camp retreat at Camp Akiba. Uh, and, uh, I'm sorry, what? Days. You can just say three days. Then you nah, we're doing hours. <laughs> we're we're part of the is it metric or imperial Stop system? <laughs> so, anyways, that's going to take place uh, July twenty second through the twenty fourth. Uh, we would love for your kids to know uh, to know if they would like to go. Uh, we have a limited number of campers we can take. We can take up to. 50 people total, and so uh, if you would like to get your kid reserved, let us know, and we'll make sure that happens. And so I think that's all we got. Happy Happy Father's Day uh, to all you fathers and all you mothers who do both jobs, as Amy has pointed out to me this morning. 
She said she should be congratulated for Father's Day because she does both jobs sometimes too. So, man, we are, we are so glad you're here. We're glad we get the opportunity to lift high the name of Jesus. So as we get started, let's take a moment. Let's shake, uh, look at each other. Air five, say it's good to see you. I don't, I don't know the etiquette anymore. Father, we come to this place this morning, and I pray that it is our desire to meet with you, that we would right now come to the end of ourselves and worship you with our hearts laid before you, with our arms stretched wide towards you. You are our Savior, and we celebrate that this morning. In your son's name, we pray these things.
praise and treasures the thing I'll never really know you came along you came along and you put me back together every desire is now satisfied hearing your love
right now from the deepest part of our heart. There's nothing that is better than you. We believe this, God. I pray that we live this. I pray that we stand on a foundation that understands that you are one true Savior, the one true healer. And as we stand before you right now, flaws and all, we thank you that you meet us right here where we're at. You don't wait for us to, to get to a certain status of Christianity. You're here with us. You meet us right now. You embrace us. when the heart is on the fire I know the way when the walls are closing in When I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire standing next to me there's another in the walls Holding back the scene Should I ever need a reminder How I've been set free Is across the bears the bears But another died for me There's another in the fire
Father, as we hear thunder quake before us, we understand the struggle, the flaws that we have, the brokenness inside of us is not something that we can repair on our own. The fear, the anxiety, the addiction, the valley that we're in right now. It can't be mended by our hand, by our hard work. It takes something more. It takes a love, a faith, a belief that you are the king of kings. You are the name above all names. And again, we thank you that you meet us right here where we're at. And you look at us. You say, follow me. I thank you for this amazing love. as I am, I come. Hallelujah. Oh, what amazing love. One more time. Thank you, Jesus. 
thank you, Jesus, just as I am, I set before you. Every heart here surrendered to you, to your will, to your ways. Passionate for our minds to be transformed by your word, by your Holy Spirit. It's so easy, Father, to fall in the trap of conforming to the world around us, but I thank you so much that you grant us the opportunity daily for our hearts, for our minds, for our souls to be transformed. And I pray that we chase after this image that you created in us. This life with you. We love you. In your son's beautiful and holy name, we pray these things. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go one place today, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, Deuteronomy, chapter 6, if you're looking for it, it's at the uh, beginning of uh, your Bible, uh, toward the beginning of it, and so uh, we've been discussing these past few weeks some lessons that, that we can learn during our season of, of COVID-19, and, uh, and really that's because I believe this pandemic has uh, brought with it some some revealing factors about about how we live and, and what we prioritize and, and what happens when the flow of our lives is interrupted uh, by situations that are outside of of our control and uh, and so far in the first two weeks we've talked about time and toilet paper uh, and so I hope that uh, last week was especially helpful to you when you understood that you know toilet paper is important but you know not the end of the world, right? Uh, unless it's abandoned you, again, at your time of need. Um, and, and where we're at today, though, I, I should kind of give this disclaimer, uh, that, that I think this will, out of, out of all the lessons we have in this series, this week may cause you the most stress or, or maybe pressure. Um, and, and I say that because uh, as, as I've been trying to work through these past couple of months, I have felt a discomfort, and I have felt a pressure, uh, and I've been trying to navigate uh, really what that, what that means. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out um, which direction I have felt this pressure uh, in my, my own heart, and, uh, and I don't know if you're like me, but, but there are times that I will struggle between um, which voice is speaking in my life at a specific time. Uh, there are times that uh, I believe the Holy Spirit reveals something so that I can grow in holiness and I can adjust. And, uh, and then there are times I think the enemy can bring up a subject and really it, the sole purpose is just to distract me from the greater things of God. And, 
Uh, and, and what I'm learning is that, that the more I take that to God and I say, okay, I don't, help me understand, help me discern uh, what's going on here, the more willing he is to speak even greater truth into, into my life. And, and, and I'll give you a case in point that kind of brings us into the topic today. Uh, in, in the Bible, there's a word picture that is used uh, of, of a shepherd and his flock. And, and what it does is it helps describe the role of a pastor in his church. Uh, and, and we get this mainly from uh, the pastoral work when we look at the life of Jesus. And, and specifically this, this moment, there's some, some, some moments in the Gospels where he comes in and he says, I am. And then he will tell us something that he is. And, and one of these word pictures that he gives us is, I am the great shepherd. And then you see throughout, as you walk in the Gospels, these these moments where uh, we see his great care for his sheep. Moments, uh, we sang this last week in Reckless Love, that, that as, as our great shepherd, he's willing to leave the 99 who are righteous to go rescue the one sheep that is lost and bring them back. Uh, these, these moments where, um, where, where, where he says, my sheep know my voice and they, they follow me. And, and I think perhaps... One of the most beautiful moments is in Matthew 9 where, where Matthew's describing the way he's looking at the people of Israel. And it says that, uh, that, that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so all the way through the Bible, we see this connection between uh, a shepherd and his flock and really a picture of a pastor and and his flock, and so so following this model, pastors kind of have a guide in how best to care for the flock that that God has given them the privilege to lead. And, and the challenge for me these past few months uh, has been uh, that feeling a, a disconnection from the flock as we've been in our own pockets of, of quarantine and. Uh, and even in today's age of, of Zoom meetings and, and social media and phones, that, that, it, that it's simply not the same as when we get to gather together, when we get to share life with one another in close proximity. And, and my prayers throughout this whole time have been that, that we would be growing in a, a deeper love uh, and a deeper knowledge of God, and that would have an effect on uh, in how we walk, especially in our homes, and, and that's why we started this whole series by talking about how we spend our time matters. Not that we're just spending time, but rather that we are making the best use of of our time. And and there have been times in these last couple months that my fear is because we're not doing church in our typical uh, setting that that some of us would put our spiritual growth just on hold. And and so I've been, I've been working through some waters that, that, that again, I still don't necessarily know which is what. Uh, and uh, and I, if the Holy Spirit was placing pressure on my heart, then I believe he's telling us as leadership that we need to, to do a better job of helping our families understand the importance of leading spiritually first from the home, then from the church. And, and as I say that, uh, I admit I have zero proof on the contrary. Uh, I have zero proof that, that 
if you put your spiritual life on hold because we aren't gathering or I have zero proof that you weren't. Um, and so um, so as I, as I say this, uh, I, I, I just want it to be brought out so that you know this is my heart for you and then also my concern for us. And, and I think uh, some of our decisions early on in, in our time of quarantine was in an effort to help equip and challenge each other uh, during this time to make sure that we are setting time aside uh, to help uh, intentional moments uh, that we can gather with our family and pursue God together. Uh, that's why we chose the route of uh, the family discussion guides. Each week we would send out a family discussion guide where you just kind of followed along and asked some questions and you talked and you didn't have to have a, a master's in divinity to go through that process, but what we wanted to do instead of just a typical, hey, let's record something and then let's just have people sit and watch, what we were hoping to do was encourage and challenge you to say, hey, family, let's talk about God together. Uh, let's open up God's word together. And then in these moments where, where God says some things, then let's listen. And there's moments when we don't know the answer, let's say, I don't know that answer, but let's go find that uh, together. And and so, so what I want us to do this morning uh, is talk about how the church really should be the supplement for the ministry that is happening in the home. And, uh, and as we talk about the home, there's going to be a temptation uh, for you to say, oh, well, he's not talking to me because perhaps I don't have a family or I don't have a spouse. And, and that's not the truth at all. What I hope we're going to see here uh, is, is, is as we scope out largely, uh, what we find in the Bible is that every generation has an obligation to proclaim and to model the gospel to the next generation. Every single one of us. So, so as adults, we are responsible for passing on the message of the gospel to our younger generation. Just like if you are a teen, you have a responsibility as you grow up to pass that message on. That I heard it said that, that we're always just one generation away from the gospel being forgotten. Uh, and, and as absurd as that sounds, when we go into the Bible, that's exactly what happens. Uh, a generation won't do their job and pass on this message of the gospel to the previous generation, and people are just wandering aimlessly through life. Uh, and so, so as we talk largely, uh, the scope is that, that my generation has a responsibility to pass on the gospel to the next generation and regardless of where you fit that will always be the biblical model now as we narrow our focus today specifically in deuteronomy 6 what we're going to find is that god's way of spreading that gospel happens primarily in the home that's that's the goal okay and so when when you feel some pressure or you feel some guilt or you feel some some awkwardness today um, what I pray is that you would realize that perhaps that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you do have a job, you do have a role, and you have an obligation to speak the privilege of the good news of Jesus, uh, specifically in our homes. And so, so like I said, we're going to be in, in Deuteronomy 6, and, and we're going to see how God's intention is for generational discipleship to happen in the home. And along the way, I'm going to give you three thoughts uh, and then at the end, we're going to come in and we're going to talk about how does that play itself out practically in our, in our lives. And so Deuteronomy 6 is, uh, we have one of the most recognized passages when it comes to the responsibility 
of parents with their children. And, uh, and it comes right on the hills of another famous chapter uh, where in Deuteronomy 5, G, uh, God gives the people of Israel, gives us uh, the law of God and the Ten Commandments. So this section is, is pretty important as we get going. And so, so let's go. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll start in, uh, I don't know, verse 1 sounds good, Alan? Does that work for you? All right. Let's go. Uh, now this, this is what Moses is telling the, the people of Israel. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, Moses, to teach you Israelites or us, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Okay. So in the story of the nation of Israel, they are going into the promised land. And as they are going, God says, hey, let me teach you about how to do life as a society. So, so he says, as you go to possess it, that you may fear or you may have reverence or awe, uh, that you may fear the Lord your God. Then watch this, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Anytime we get to there, I like to think of it in our world that it's Doritos and Dr. Pepper, right? A land that is flowing freely of all the Dr. Pepper, zero the calories, right? And all the Cool Ranch and Nacho Doritos. You don't like Cool Ranch? Well, maybe you don't get to come over to my part of the land, Heather. Um, but, but pay attention, because verse 4 is going to tell us what we need most in our life. Okay? And, and, I, and I want us to slow down, and I want us to preface it by understanding this is what we need most. This will be the commandment on which all other commandments rest. This becomes our motivation for doing anything when it comes to serving God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, Some translations will put it, the, the Lord our God is the only one. In a world of a thousand little gods, we're saying he is the one living God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. If you like to circle in your Bible that those three little word, three little letters in the word all, circle them every time you see them. And these words that I command you, pay attention, I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, so this is where we are. The commandment is that we would love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. And there's a temptation when we get to verses like this, when we don't read in the full context of the word, uh, there's a temptation to believe that this commandment is a forced action. And it's not simply the response of a heart that has experienced the love of God. That, that God's saying, hey, no, no, 
you have to love me before I love you. And the problem with that approach is it's just, it's not biblical. It's not what the pages of, of the Bible teach us. We find out, especially when we're in 1 John, that, that any motivation that we have toward loving God comes first and foremost from the love that he has shown us and the love that he has put on display. And so when the Bible comes in with a command or a demandment, uh, a demandment um, that's a word, um, when the Bible comes in with a commandment like this, it's not based on blind uh, trust and blind faith. It's saying, hey, I want you to look at how God cares for you, and then I want you to respond, and then I want you to understand that everything he gives you, the proper response is everything that you have. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Everything you do is simply this response of his love being shown to you. And so, so we can think it wrongly if we say, well, I have to do this and then he loves me. Because that's not, that's not the way the gospel works. Which is, I think, is why Jesus comes in and he says, follow me. We, we talk about this a lot here, that that's, that's the invitation. Before Jesus says, believe me, he says, follow me. He says, walk in my footsteps and, and pay attention to how I care and how I treat and what I say and what I do and who I am. And then as you do that, you will undoubtedly fall in love with me. And so this is where we are. So let me, let me give you three thoughts uh, that I think kind of carry us in Deuteronomy 6. And the first one is this, okay? And it's the most important thing. If you want to check out after this, you're welcome to do so, all right? But number one, my family's greatest need is that they would know God and they would love him with their whole lives. That's my family's greatest need that they would know God and they would love him with their whole lives. This is, this is my spouse's greatest need. This is my children's greatest need. If you're a kid, this is your parents' greatest need. And we try to confuse, uh, we can try to confuse what is most important for our kids. Uh, we can confuse sports and grades and clothes and food and popularity as their, their most important needs. And the problem is that it's not. It's not. And unfortunately, we are... A lot of us will, will create a path that tells our kids, no, 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 that's the most important thing. How good you are, how smart you are, how much people like you. That's the most important thing. And that's not the case at all. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you realize this, um, but you, I think you do if you're an adult, because one day you'll stop playing sports. One day, one day you won't have any more school to go to. One day, your kids will stop mooching off of your, out of your pantry all the time, and one day you'll stop buying them clothes, right? Uh, and some of you are like, God, please let that day come sooner, right? And what, what will matter at the end of those moments is that we have helped them understand the incredible amount of love that God has for them. That is, that is the most important thing in your life that you can do for your kids. And, and what our kids need to know most right now in this season of their life is that the world is not about them. And I'll give you some of you guys time to let that wash over you. Because you're like, what? But the world's not about them. That, that their hearts, our hearts need to see the goodness of God over and over and over again need to be engulfed in his love and and, and I, I read an article a couple weeks ago and it was by the author uh, and speaker Paul Tripp 
and, and he was talking about um, our greatest need in our children's life, and he connects their our, our behaviors with their hearts. And, and he says this, uh, and I'll just read it to you. He says, one of the things you have to realize is you are never just dealing with behavior problems in your children. You are also always dealing with heart problems. And, and the central focus of heart problems is the issue of awe. That, that you have to look at your child and you have to think that this child was designed by God for all. And what this means is the awe of something will capture his heart. And what captures his heart will control his behaviors. And he says, let me give you an example. He says, young children are naturally in awe of themselves. Uh, which I think that still applies for a lot of us adults, right? Um, that they are naturally in awe of themselves, inserting themselves in the center of the world, making it all about them. And so the battle about what to eat, I won't eat my peas, is not because I have studied diet and I realize that peas don't need to be part of my diet because after all, peas are gross and they get mushy, right? It's not about diet at all. It's about awe. If I am awed with myself, then I do not want to be ruled. I do not want to be told what to do. You will not tell me what to put in my mouth. Now, now to treat that just as a diet issue sort of misses the point of what is really initiating that or, or when uh, to go to sleep or what is appropriate to wear uh, or, or who my friend should be or, or what I should watch on television or what I should look at on my computer. All of those are subsets that are of a different issue uh, that, that if I am an all-narcissist, if I believe the universe is about me and I should be able to control and dictate what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. And so what I want to do, he says, is I want to expose my children to one who is greater. I, I want to use every tool that is available to me to blow them away with the stunning glory of God. Now, God has helped us because he has made a world that reveals himself. So, so it's not unnatural to talk about God all the time. It's, it's positively unnatural not to. And, and now here's where all of this goes. It's, it's not enough just to fight the battle of behavior. You also have to fight the battle of all on behalf of your children as well. And this is, this is what Moses is telling the Israelites. He says, listen, you, you make it a point that the message of your life says, my love for God is the most important, is the greatest thing ever. Not because of what he can do to me or what he can do for me, but because of who he is. Because of what he has done to rescue and redeem this. Number two. Because we are to recount what God has done in our lives so that our children may know and we do not forget. That, that our children may know and we do not forget. Look at, look at all the ways and all the opportunities uh, that we're encouraged to speak about God with our children. He says, when you're, when you're sitting in your house. He says, when you're walking by the way, when you, when you lie down, when you rise up. In short, every chance you get is an opportunity to speak of the goodness of God. Every single chance. Even in the hard moments. Even in the confusion at times in our lives, it's still an opportunity to teach our kids about the goodness of God. And the fact that, that, that we're still breathing is always a good reason to worship God. And, and so, so, so my, 
when we, when we take the time to teach our kids about the ways of God, we're ultimately saying that we live under the authority of God, and that's a great gift. Hugely great gift. That, that children, we need to understand that, that we've been brought into a world of authority, and we are not it. We're not. In fact, the sooner a child submits to that, the more blessed his life is going to be. And I know that because you've said that to your kids, right, before? Like, hey, as soon as you get on board with this, the happier you're going to end up. But until then, you're just going to continue to be miserable. And so, 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 so as we say that, we need to understand the, the importance of, of parenting. And it's this. My children don't belong to me. My spouse, they don't belong to me. Uh, they, they belong to God. That, that he is the ultimate owner and the ultimate authority. And that means I am an ambassador. I'm a representative of the authority of God. I am, I am given the opportunity to be the tone of God's voice as a parent. I'm the look on his face and I'm the touch of his hand. Okay? So, so, so now, if you think about it, this will make you weak in your knees because you're like, I do not feel equipped to do that at all. But, but every time, every time I exercise authority in the lives of my children and all those mundane little circumstances, it, it must be this beautiful picture of the authority of God. It must be. And what I hope is that even in the discipline, even in the hard moments, what I hope my children would eventually learn is that they will learn to see authority as beautiful and giving and serving and loving and and compassionate and patient and gracious because that's that's the authority of God in our lives that that children are born with a natural dislike toward authority and and and, and what I want to depict is that authority is a divinely beautiful thing so eventually they say authority is a good thing it's a wise thing it's a pro- protective thing it doesn't crush my freedoms it it actually gives me freedom. That's important for us to know. And so we, we consistently tell our kids about the things of God so that they would know them and that we would remember them. And then number three, well, here's what we need to realize, is that we can't teach our kids to love God if we're not pursuing Him with them. With them. That's a big part. That your growth in God is not intended to be this solo endeavor. Never was it supposed to be solo. Now, a lot of people will say, well, well, my beliefs and my religion, that's a private matter to me. And the problem is that's never the design. You're always invited into community. You've been entrusted with a spouse. You've been entrusted with kids. You've been entrusted with friends and community and uh, and all of those things that they would be, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus to all. And, and there's this, uh, this is where I think our chief complaint surfaces, right? Uh, anytime the topic of leading our family spiritually comes in, because the chief complaint will, will walk in and it will say things like this, I just don't think I know enough to do that good enough. Or, um, I, I don't have all the answers, therefore I don't want to take any of the steps in that direction. Or, or there are people more equipped or more qualified to do this. Have I, have I found any of us in the room? Because I think, I think perhaps we have. And, and the truth is, all of those things 
may be true. But, it, but that doesn't give you the right to ignore your God-given calling to lead. Because a lot of us will use those excuses really not as an excuse to not speak truth in the lives of our families, but rather just not to pursue God at all. And, and, and I said I struggled um, for a couple months here about wondering if we've equipped you well enough during this time to continue in family discipleship. But, but now what I'm wrestling with is, is, is why do I feel the weight of doing in your home what God has told you to do in the first place? That my job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, okay? And, and so that's a, that's a very specific set of guidelines. And so I'm trying to figure out why I feel the, the weight of being the spiritual leader in your home when I'm not supposed to be. I'm the spiritual leader of our church community. You're the spiritual leader of your home. I don't know. At, at some point in, in church history, um, there be, we created this model where, where it became acceptable for men to stop leading spiritually in their homes. And, and what we did is we started to applaud them if they were just willing to drive their kids to church uh, and then outsource the work of the ministry to um, the professionals. Uh, and, and my plead with you husbands and with you fathers today is that you would realize that you have more influence with your family than anyone else should. You should have the most influence with your children. You should have the most influence with your spouse than any other voice except for the voice of God. Okay? And it's your responsibility to do that, that, that you should be the leading voice in your home. And the question I'd, I'd like to kind of for you to ponder is whether or not your voice is leading your family in the ways of God or not. Happy Father's Day. It's a shame. We, we are growing up in a, in a fatherless generation. We have a fatherless society, and that doesn't just apply to races. That, that applies for dads who are in the home whose mouths are shut. It applies to men who are looking at their spouses and they say, I want you to do everything that I want you to do, but I'm not going to lead you. I'm not going to apply Ephesians 5 when it says that he leads his wife with the washing of the word. That he, that he serves as the hand and the feet of Jesus as he lays his, as he sacrifices his dreams for the sake of his family so that they can walk in the ways of God. I don't know where we got off saying it's not my job to lead my family because it's not mine. This is why I need you to hear with all the love that I have in my heart. It's not my job to lead your family spiritually. It's yours, fathers. And it's yours, husbands. It's your responsibility. God's going to look at you one day and he's going to say, hey, how have you led your family spiritually? And what I'm learning, I'm, I've been in Ezekiel. This is off the note, but that's fine. It's, uh, it's not raining anymore. All right, let's write, make this quick so it doesn't rain again. All right, so, so I'm in Ezekiel. And in, in chapter 18, there's this moment where where God is looking at the people and he says, listen, everybody's responsible for their own sins. He, and he, what he does, he, Ezekiel's laying this, this case for that there isn't generational sins. There's not. He says a father who is righteous is treated as righteous by God. 
But that father has a son, and that son decides to be wicked. And God says, the wickedness of that son is not held onto the father. And then the wicked son has a son who's righteous, and he says, the, the righteousness of the son's son is not held according to the wickedness of his father. And we're like, oh, that's, that's helpful to know. That, that we are all one generation away from breaking curses that we feel. We are. But then there's something that happens in chapter 20 where, where, where God says, listen, if you don't learn from the wickedness of the previous generation, you're, you'll repeat it. And that will be on you. Okay? So, so here's, here's I, I ramble to say this point. That fathers, it's not your responsibility to, to raise and force your kid to love God. How they respond to God is going to be them. It is your responsibility, it is your privilege to model for them the ways of God. That's what we're accountable to. So here's the question. We can start wrapping this up. That, that some of us, as, as I talk, and I'm like, man, this is uncomfortable. You are stepping on my toes. And I'd say again, we do it with love. Um, and in fact, some may say, hey, man, you're coming in pretty hot on Father's Day. Thought it was supposed to be nicer. Um, but, but some of us will say, I get that. I hear you. But how? Right? How do, how do I lead my family spiritually? Like the thought of, of putting um, even these past couple months, the family discussion guide and that time, that just, that scares me to death. How do I do that? Do, do I have to, do, do we mandate an hour of Bible study a night with our family? Do, do I need to learn how to play the guitar? Uh, my wife doesn't sing very well, but I mean, I guess I can suffer for Jesus if we have to sit in the room and I can hear her. I don't, what do, what do I do about that? And, and I want to give you uh, three, three thoughts, but it's not full encompassing. My wife sings great. It's not, it's your wife that I think you have a problem with. Um, but let me, let me talk to you about three things you can do to help lead your family spiritually. Okay, number one, I prepare my heart and my mind by spending time with God. I do. I prepare my heart and my mind by spending. I cannot expect to lead my family in areas I'm unwilling to go first. Okay? And so, so, so our families need to see us pursuing the knowledge of God and to see how it's all connected in all areas of our life. Number two, I model the love of God through service and sacrifice and how I treat my family. This means that, that when, you, when you drop the ball and, and you do make a mistake, say you are harder on them than maybe you should have been, maybe your anger did get the best of you as you yelled at them. When you do let them down, which is inevitable, right? It's that you model for them confession and repentance and walking in forgiveness means when you have the, the opportunity to connect a dot about your actions and God's love, you take it. That's what he's saying. He says, he says when, you, when, you're, when you wake up and when you lie down and when you're walking by the way, you have intentional conversations about your life with God. And it can be something as simple as, you know, I was reading my Bible the other day, this, and I thought it was interesting. Number three, and I think this is important, that I choose not to treat my relationship with God 
as a compartment of my life. Hear me when I say that. I choose not to treat my relationship with God as a compartment of my life. And now here, here's where I'm, I'm most concerned about how I lead my family because I don't want them believing that we have a spiritual life and then we have the rest of our life. It's not the way it's designed. That, that my relationship with God is not an extracurricular when it comes to the other areas of my life. He, he is not a drawer that I choose to operate in uh, that makes my life whole. He's not just a compartment of that. And I don't want them, I don't want them thinking that Sunday morning I, I put my Jesus on, but on the afternoon I put on a different version of myself. That's not the way it's supposed to to be, that, and, and now hear me as, as we wrap this up, if, if you think this is about showing up on Sunday mornings specifically, you're missing the point. This isn't about high attendance Sundays. I, we that matters, but it's not, we don't, we don't get paid, I don't get paid if more of you show up on the same day, right? Right? That's, oh, no, okay. They've been trying to do that for years. Though it is important that we would be here together. There's powerful things that happen when God's people gather. But the point of this morning is simply this. It's asking this question, what role have I played in the past few months to lead my family to God? What role have I played? Did, did I come in and just say, okay, you know, when we get back to church, we'll start talking about churchy stuff. What role have I played? Have I just waited? Have I refused to step into a gap that really should not have existed in the first place? Do I help? Am I helping my kids know about the love that God has for them? And if not, my question is why? And perhaps it's because I don't know God. Maybe I don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, and that's, again, you can't lead them to places you haven't been. And so maybe that's the first place to start by giving your heart to Jesus. Or maybe you have, but you've been negligent. And you feel guilt, and, and perhaps you feel some shame. And you say, I don't know what to do with that. And, and I would say, you give it to Jesus. And you start today. You start anew. Maybe you ask for forgiveness. Or maybe you walk in repentance. But you can't outsource the spiritual life of your children to the church. We serve as a supplement. We want to help bring them up with you. I love you guys. Happy Father's Day. I hope we hurt your feelings just a little bit. Just enough to make a change. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you love us. That you walk with us and you care for us. I pray we would become men in this church who love you passionately, who lead you 
and lead our families who, who are led by you and we lead our families in your ways. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would just rest on us. That he would both give us insight and courage and strength to live biblically. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Just as I am, I come. Hallelujah. Oh, what amazing love. One more time. Thank you, Jesus. Just as I am, I are dismissed. I hope you have a blessed week.